Why We Bleep is sponsored by Signal Sounds. Yes, friend, I heard you liked repeating noises. Well, march your derriere via the digital means of a mouse to signalsounds.com, where you will discover all manner of items designed to allow you to make repeating noises most satisfactorily. Signal Sounds stock good stuff, including the Lep Loop, as used by Mr. Lord Tony of Surgeon. However, it sells out in about three seconds when they have them. So instead, may we highlight to you the Herbs and Stones Liquid Foam, the dopest twin four-step semi-chaotic gate sequencer and melodic acid baseline generator we've seen all year. It's fucking great, by the way. That's literally the words that I use to communicate that product. The Korg Op 6 Advanced FM Synths for people who don't like FM Synths. What? I love FM Synths and I want an Op 6. They've got them. The Acid Rain Maestro, a very clever CV automation module. And the Rossum Electro Mob of Emus. For the name alone, flip the heck. They have it. All the things you could possibly want to make beautiful, repeating notes. And as esoteric as you like. They have that sort of thing at signalsounds.com that website again signalsounds.com Hi, pal. Today we're going to talk to none other than techno royalty surgeon. Not a surgeon that works on your body with a scalpel, but with music. Surgeon is probably, you could argue, one of the greatest techno DJs that the United Kingdom has produced. I think that would be a fair thing to say. Certainly well-known and certainly well-versed. Mr. Anthony Child has been around for a long time, has been there sort of almost since the very beginning. Um, the early 90s is when Tony started first playing. One of my favourite examples of how notable a surgeon is is the fact that the Daft Punk track, Teachers, which is on the album Homework, one of the early electronic music albums that I heard that really, I was like, this is just an unstoppably great piece of work. Uh, the track Teachers, where Daft Punk name check all of the legends and teachers who've taught them what they know and love about dance music. The very final teacher is Surgeon. He is a heck of a person to talk to and also just one of the nicest, most humble, thoughtful people that you could hope to meet. A very thinky person, um, very smart, and it's been wonderful to speak to him. Someone, I might add, that I have wanted to speak to since the very inception of this podcast. Tony was absolutely one of those people that was on my radar, like, from day zero, like, that's who I need to speak to on Why We Bleep. So this is momentous to have him on the show, especially also because seeing Tony playing live was one of my early modular live inspirations as well. Seeing him do it led me to believe that it might be possible that I could try and do it as well. So 
again, for that reason too, it's especially interesting to pick his brains about playing live, something that he, you know, he considers himself a live performer. That's what he's been doing for the last few years, almost exclusively. He wasn't DJing for a time. Of course, he is also monumentally a DJ and has decades of experience and can bring that to his modular jams, which is something he mentions. Um, and so this was an opportunity to kind of pick his brains, needle him on on the live and improvisational thing and just generally about techno too. What is techno? What isn't techno? What is playing live? How do you play live? How do you get inspired and talking about music? And it's a fascinating thing to talk about there's so much good stuff that is absolutely at the heart of what makes me tick and what i think about that we were able to chat about so and actually just at the beginning of this conversation we were talking about the remote jam that he did on twitch with speedy j um which was amazing to me where it's basically two solid hours of speedy j and surgeon jamming on bits of kit as if they're in the room together um, which is a thing that is like a holy grail. Um, of course, we do have some amazing remote jamming tools, like I've talked about Endless on here a lot, but Endless is slightly asynchronous, although you can be you know, jamming at the same time that someone else is messing. They were like, it was like they were stood next to each other, but, you know, Speedy J's in Rotterdam and um, Surgeon's in Birmingham. And... I asked him how it was done. Tony, being the solid gold chap he is, did not say, um, because I think Speedy J and Co, for whatever reason, are not kind of ready to share that, um, at least when this was published. Um, but suffice to say, because I did some research, that there are remote jamming tools, uh, if you Google for, and I'm surprised we don't talk more about them. Why do we not use them more? I don't know, especially now, <laughs> especially now. So I think that's something that I want to try and research in the kind of coming months. There's stuff to be done there because clearly it can work. So friend, I think it's time to hand over to the conversation. But one last thing before we do is this sponsored message. Why We Bleep is also sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community for creative and curious people. It offers thousands of inspiring video-based classes on topics as varied as illustration to graphic design, music production, animation, creative writing, web development, productivity, film and video, you name it. The list, it is long, but the classes are short. Under 60 minutes with lessons to fit any schedule. This morning... I watched Find Your Style, Five Exercises to Unlock Your Creative Identity by Andy J. Pizza. And I do believe that is a pseudonym. Andy is an illustrator and this class literally is that concrete method that he devised to attempt to find and codify your visual style. Um, and now, as I say, he's an illustrator, so this is focused in the class on visuals, but equally applicable to music as well. I've got to say, I was very sceptical going in that a person would be able to give them what I would consider a meaningful way to codify style. Like it feels like an amorphous, amorphous of, it feels like something that couldn't be sped along by exercises. But I have to admit, I was pretty impressed. I genuinely think if you follow that through and if you do the exercises, 
you will be able to put your finger far better on what it is that inspires you creatively. And that could be like quantifying the styles that really speak to you and what you're trying to say musically when you make things. I often don't think about those things. And like I say, I was skeptical that a video class would actually give me something that I would consider like a valid route to explore it. But I have to say, I think it does. It's pretty damn good. So if you're curious to try Skillshare yourself, the first 1,000 people who click the link in my description will get a free trial of Skillshare Premium. Click the link, learn yourself some new skills. And with that, it's time to quote Daft Punk. Sir Jean in the house. Yeah. <laughs> But it was, yeah, it was absolutely amazing. When we, we set it up on the Wednesday before uh, the show uh, just to kind of test it and we set it up and we just we just jammed away for like three hours or something. And yeah, like it was really about 10 minutes in, I it was like I forgot that we weren't even sort of in the same room. I was so kind of absorbed in, in that improvisation kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was abs- it was really amazing, quite emotional to to do that this year to be able to perform and improvise with someone which for me is my favorite thing to do you know performance wise that real musical connection it's like exploring different you know each part as it were of the set is like we're exploring a certain space oh what's this space you know what are the what are the laws of physics in this space how does it look how does it sound how does it feel and then all of a sudden you enter a different space and those kind of changes happened. They, that blew me away. You know, while we were doing it, we would both at the same time decide, okay, we're going into a new, a new bit now. You know, Hmm. it's really, it's, it's a real kind of synchronicity that, that happens. People ask a lot of questions and I think they, as with everything like to do with my production, everything, I think people overcomplicate the idea of how I approach it. And to me, it's everything is uh, really quite simple. I mean, how I think of it and approach it. So, so with improvisation, it's really just opening yourself up to the music and opening your ears and awareness. It's a real kind of meditative kind of state. And if you're in that zone, then it just all kind of flows on its own. You don't have to kind of try and like consciously make it happen you just you just follow this thing this thing and it's just that's just the amazing thing when you're playing like what can you quantify the types of thoughts you have you know what sort of do you if you do think words when you're doing it like what sort of things do you say to yourself what i'm aware of is a a kind of um there's a there's a multi-layered thing going on and i'm most consumed by this kind of flow state i've heard it called or meditative thing but there's definitely uh there's definitely a practical bit of my brain running you know but that doesn't kind of get in the way it's just it's just like um i don't know a script running in the background or something and that's just just dealing with the practicalities of the performance 
but I just kind of let that go on in the background. So it's like it's like different layers that are happening at the same time in my in my brain. <laughs> that's what I'm that's what I'm aware of happening for me. And I and I really think it applies to Joachim Speedy J as well. Having spent years and years and years DJing and performing in various ways, I think all of that goes into it because you get uh, from all of those years of performing, DJing, you get a sense of timing and pacing. And that's really important when you're improvising so you don't go down this noodle wormhole of yeah. like boring the hell out of everyone where you get kind of stuck there's a, there's like a, there's another, it's another one, it's yet another layer in your brain of a kind of objective awareness of, our, okay, okay, we need to change it up now, you know. You can be totally stuck in the groove of what's happening, but but there's another bit of your brain, you know, the experienced DJ part, which is aware of the pacing and the structure and and telling a story kind of thing and that's really difficult because you get because time um there's a lot of time distortion involved with um improvising i'm sure you found that too yes i categorically have so so how do you deal with how long you kind of spend on each kind of motif or something like that there are, the problem is there are, i've definitely had moments where i'm like shit that was supposed to be the change. And I've realized too late because I've focused too much on something else. So you kind of almost re realize it in retrospect. Mm. Um, but generally, I don't know. I feel like when I'm playing with the modular, because I've got, um, or whatever it is, I've learned, I've practiced so that I've learned like, oh, here are, you know, various tricks almost. And I kind of vibe between those tricks. Mm -hmm. It's a case of like going, well, I haven't done this, so I could do that. You know, and often for me, it's, it's, I've usually got a few, I don't use loopers, so I've got available voices uh -huh. and I'll, and I'll usually keep one in reserve. So I'm like, these two things are playing. Then I have a third thing I can fade up. When I faded that, I'll fade down one of the other elements yeah. so that in that way we can almost be, um, you know, it's like past the parcel. You're sort of yeah, you're yeah. passing on part of it and you're always changing one thing each, each generation. And that way you can just keep going and i've also i've been conscious like conscious to think of the word contrasts when i play because oh yeah I'm simply simply to say if i've been doing loads of stuff simplify and pair back and that gives you that natural ebb and flow you know which yeah. is because do you see it when you're playing do you see it as tracks or it's you i don't i mean i'm trying to think i've seen you play several times now i'm trying to think but you don't what I don't see you doing, and maybe that's I've just misremembered, is you're not doing like, you know, sick drops where there's like loads of things that change at once. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I've only got two hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you're absolutely right about the the tool having a toolbox to draw on. That's definitely another element of it as well. It's like that's something going on in my head where. I think if I become aware, okay, I need to do something or change something now, then I maybe draw on the toolbox, like you were saying, of, of sort of techniques or, or um, yeah, things, just things you can draw on. Um, but I, what, a thing I, I really enjoy about uh, a tool that I really enjoy using is to let 
it all fall to pieces. I really love that. And I think that's something that people are very often very afraid of doing. But I, I love that effect. And it's like this, you can kind of, you know, you're, you, it's like you're spinning 10 plates trying to keep this jam going and it all starts going yeah. wrong and it all starts falling apart. Instead of like desperately trying to grab hold of it and go, no, you just like let it destroy itself and then kind of the kind of phoenix rises from the ashes and you make something else. I, I, I find that a really powerful thing to do or maybe i don't know maybe that's some kind of weird sadomasochistic thing or something how do you mean exactly can you think of an example like where you i don't know if you know what i mean where it's going wrong it's like you you're doing oh, your yeah. jam it's going wrong and it's just it's like oh no it's now it's all like out of atonal or and i didn't mean it to do that but instead of like desperately trying to fix it i just let it just kind of fall to bits yeah and and then sort of almost pick up start the energy again it's like a energy wave if if the waves going into if the waves crashing then i i let it crash well that, but that would give you a kind of natural almost finish to sort of songs if you will you know it's like yeah. oh that's i mean that's not like every hopefully not every song ends in disaster <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's, you it's, it's it. like a yeah i just was mentioning it as a as something that happens at least once in every set, there's a point where it's spinning out of control, and I, I just let it let it crash instead of instead of like trying to rescue it. Because you're playing, well, you're not always playing techno, obviously, but um, how do you sort of keep it danceable though? That's the question. If if you're embracing chaos, um, well, there's a kick drum there, and that's 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 what makes it techno. <laughs> just don't take that away. Yeah, well, yeah, take it away and let's let it let it spin out of control and then kind of reform it and then bring a kick drum back in to kind of hook it back together maybe could you talk a bit about this there's loads of variations and you know you don't play live any one particular way um and you know this feels like there's sort of three different there's three different systems of yours that i've been aware of um i've seen i mean i've seen you play all of them hmm. like i went to the i was at the royal albert hall thing where you played with the the music easel oh yeah um and which was which, I, don't know the, I don't know if you could see that but like everyone laid down like oh 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 yeah no the oh sorry the royal Albert hall that was actually uh that was a pin electronics portabella oh was it uh, like a synthy clone what was it i thought it was a I thought you had the music easel because I guess I just assumed that and couldn't really see it properly. I remember that I, some friends of mine were there and they said that there was a really irate kind of usher guy who was getting yep, very upset about people lying on the floor. Yeah, they were, they were getting well officious and sort of like, no, 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 it's the Royal Albert Hall, we have to stand. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, it was standing room, I suppose, yeah, it was, it was in the back bit, but yeah, they were, they were and then there was a point where they realised the battle was lost. Uh, actually, they let they they let people lie down, but then there was a point. I think three quarters of the way through, where they're like, "We just this is too much. We can't allow this this kind of enjoyment." Yeah. Of <laughs> this is not this is not not British lying on the no. floor. God no. <laughs> yeah, that gig from my point of view was quite a struggle because these. You see, I I do enjoy these quite esoteric machines, but they can occasionally decide they're not going to play along and will will kind of resist 
everything that you try and do. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty, it's like, it's like having a really, trying to perform with, with an angry, moody person. <laughs> I mean, in the classic, classic, like, live performer thinks it all goes wrong, you know, way, I, I was like, this is absolutely brilliant. It was like, I mean, there wasn't, literally there wasn't a moment that I thought you were clearly, I mean, there might have been moments where I sort of see you kind of almost laugh at something like, mm. which is, you can usually tell that, oh, oh, something's gone wrong, but, you know, it doesn't matter. But it didn't, it didn't come across at all. It was just like a really well-paced, meditative building, you know, set. It was great. Oh, I'm glad glad to hear that. I I had some I had some quite I yeah I had some good feedback from some people, and that's always I can kind of forget about my my impression of it doesn't matter so much in that kind of way. You know, if it comes across, then then it worked, and that's and that's more important that people kind of connected with it. If I'm having kind of performance or technical issues, that's kind of my problem, really. What I really I really really like about those performances as opposed to the techno performances and and that night was an example of it where someone one of the people who organized the night actually came and said to me that they'd never heard they'd never experienced anything like that before they'd never heard music like that before it it was like a brand new experience for them and it changed how they thought about music and that's like wow that's the most that's the best thing that anyone could could possibly say because yeah you know for me, for me that type of music that idea of music that approach to music is really something very quite normal and everyday and has been part of my life for a really long time and i kind of often forget that for some people that's a, like a brand new thing it seems like a strange yeah, it seems strange to me. So, so to kind of widen someone's goalposts of what music is and can be, and also, you know, hearing that music uh, at a volume, you know, that's that's like more physical. That's something that's very different. A lot of people haven't. Yeah. You know, they think, oh, it's ambient music. It's just chill out and you know, it's relaxing. But it can be, you know, as as just as heavy as as a techno set. It's just got no drums in it. I suppose you could say Sun, a sort of an ambient band. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm a. I'm a big, big fan of them. I'm not. You know, I'm not. I'm certainly not a, a metal fan. But, but I, I do very much enjoy what they do. Yeah, I'm definitely in that camp as well. I saw them at Moogfest, and it was, I think, uh, someone. I can't remember who said this, but they were like, "I love going to see Sun because it's like having an audio bath." Yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very, it's really kind of clean, cleansing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the, can't think of much else while you're watching it. The uh, the really sad thing about the gig stopping was that the first gig I had cancelled this year was going to be at Cafe Otto, and it was the Transcendence Orchestra, and performing as part of the Transcendence Orchestra that night was going to be Paddy from Nod. And Stephen O'Malley from Sun. Oh my God! And it di- and yeah, it didn't happen. No. So I, I it hope it could happen hmm? still. Well, I hope hope so one day. But yeah, it, it took a lot to like get that to come together. But we were scuffered by 
by a virus. Get Speedy J's system on the go and see if it can. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be the same, and it wouldn't. Yeah, he needs his special amps. <laughs> yeah, exactly, or twelve of them, or whatever. Yeah. So, can you? I mean, can you say a bit about? I'm interested in the different systems you give to yourself, like in especially just with like how little there is to do. Do you know what I mean? Like how how complicated do you make it? How simple do you make it? And also, how do you practice it? Like, what is your technique for sort of saying, well, I'm going to improv this. What, what do you, or how do you approach the practicing stage? When do you know that you're done? I think it applies across all the different setups of the, you know, the more tonal stuff and the techno, techno live setups. It's just, um, it's just having something that has enough range and something that I feel I'm in control of. You know, sometimes when I'm using like, uh, connecting up a bunch of like more like desktop synths or something, you know, sometimes I'll add too many and it's like, no, I can't really perform with all these pieces. You know, I don't have enough hands, but a lot of the time I have really have this feeling where if I strip it down and just work harder with what I've got, then it's like you can kind of create magic with it instead of just throwing all this stuff out there. Mm. You got to work a lot harder and you've got to have a lot more faith. I think faith is the right word. <laughs> I often talk about how useful being delusional is. <laughs> <laughs> I think I mean, that's a very vital part of of being a, a, a performer is just having such faith in that what you're going to do. I don't know. I think that carries across. I'm I'm convinced that that, that carries across to the audience because, you know, back to the the Royal Albert Hall thing that you're at you know on on a certain level i totally accept that what i was doing was absolutely preposterous and absurd but somehow i managed to kind of sell it <laughs> to to the crowd do you, do you know what i mean yeah oh yeah and i i like i like that part of it as well how how absurd it actually is it sounded good. I mean, obje- I would say objectively, like uh, I'm not. Even- yeah, it has has that level to it, but I enjoy how ridiculous it is as well. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely know what you mean about sort of kind of just say uh, almost not arrogance is the wrong term, but yeah. just a sort of willful ignorance that it's going to be fine. I've definitely experienced that when I'm like, I I can hand on heart say I have not practiced something enough or mm. even at all. And I put myself in a situation. I did a like an improvised thing with loads of the Moog, mm. like like the DFAM, two DFAMs and a mother and mm. a drum machine and some even tide effects. And I thought a lot about I was like, you know, this is how I'll set it up and I'll just have an eight oh eight and and these these instruments, which I played lots individually, but I had not done any real significant practicing with that rig. Mm. And I was able to just get it set up. I was like, yeah, that's how I would have it, and then played the thing. And it was great. Good. And I was like, and I could not believe how good it. And afterwards, I thought, what point was I going to check whether this was going to work? Do you, do you <laughs> think that I? I don't know. I maybe it's part of the delusion as well. But I, I don't like to over practice something. Yeah. Because there's a sort of peak of excitement and interest, and it, and if you yeah. go past that, then you're just kind of wheeling it out. I don't know. I hate. Um, I hate sound checking. I'll like check the level and go, right, I'm good. Because if I sound check it, it gives me some sort of expectation. And when I go back and do the gig, it's not like that. So I, I really, that really puts me off more than anything. 
Do you struggle with um, how do you monitor and stuff when you're playing live? Do you have in ears or do you do it a different way? Um, just, you know, monitor speakers. Just literally whatever the venue provides, like two wedges either side will do. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's more, it's definitely more critical than uh, DJ monitors. And I have had a situa- a weird situation that involved not being able to hear any kind of sub or lower bass and that was an absolute nightmare because i was you know i'm doing a set and it sounds terrible yeah yeah and so i can't get into it and it's just like ugh, yeah it was a nightmare but that yeah fortunately usually that's yeah the monitor situation is usually okay i suppose if you if you've been, been careful to not give yourself an excessive amount of stuff it's like there isn't so much to mix if that makes sense like i don't know it's to it take care of itself to some degree yeah, I mean, it, it, the whole thing is a live mix. I mean, that's like a really key, that's a vital part of it. The balance of levels of the individual parts is is vital in how it, you know, how it kind of comes across. I have really struggled with like, you know, upper like hats and getting them often like when I produce music here at home, I'm like always mix percussion way too loud. But when I played on bigger systems, I've consistently mixed it too low. And I've never quite worked out why that is. I've done it exactly the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> I, if I, because I, I always record the set, you know, especially if there's like a new element to it or something like that. I want to hear, yeah. listen back. And yeah, the hi hats are always like this ear bleeding level. And I always kind of mix them a bit, bit, bit too low almost um, uh, in the studio. But I do play with earplugs in. So I think that might be something to do with it. Uh, that might, yeah, well, that, but that is wise. I mean, presumably you've got like fitted proper. Yeah, they're the um, the ones that have like a what is it minus fifteen dB kind of filter in it. So yeah, they're pretty good. I've used them for like twenty five years or something. That's good. I was going to say that's like in your profession is it's not even it's a ridiculous problem. Oh, presumably yeah. for those who do not take care of it. I mean, I've you know I've heard producers who've been producing in the studio at just just insane levels um, for, for vibe on in the interests of vibe. Oh yeah. Where I'm like, you are not going to be able to produce records in 15 years. No. So. I, I actually, uh, some years back, I actually got quite worried about the, the effect of the volume on, on my, on my body more <laughs> as opposed to my ears, just cause yeah. there seemed to be a bit of a, an arms race in Holland with the, the, how insanely loud the system was in the club or the or the uh warehouse or whatever and just you know playing on stages where you put a a bottle of water and it's just like leaping in the air and it's like oh what what's happening to my 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 um my insides you know <laughs> Are you like slowly microwaving yeah, your insides because you know I, I looked time. up stuff about you know in you know kind of like workplace health and safety and it was like definitely way way beyond anything a noise level definitely yeah i did read um when i was younger i was like fascinated with kind of like real world explanations for paranormal phenomena Ah. and standing waves are a thing like standing waves where you get kind of um like a fan in a corridor and it if it if the fan's rotating at a certain speed then you get these waves and apparently like 18 hertz 
it makes your eyeballs vibrate ah. and can cause you to see forms in the corner of your vision. Ah. I need to write that down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. For your next gig. Yeah. Like, see forms. Yeah. Hit, hit, dial down, oscillated to 18 hertz. I'm sure Coil did something with that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I suppose it, I'd love, I would like to talk about your specifically sort of with live systems. I suppose it's kind of, you've, I don't know, like to as sort of a summing up question is as you're approaching this set, these setups, is there a sort of common thread? Like, is it the looper? You know, I know you use the Octa track and you've sort of, I know you also said you kind of hate the Octa track because it's a bit of a pig, but you're presumably you are losing, using it as a looper. And is that, is that an essential component? And what is the sort of common thread? Like what's the common bit of kit beyond like a mixer that you have between all of the various ways that you play? Um, I, I have used a looper a lot, but I maybe don't always use it now, but so I had this set up with a music easel, a looper, and I don't know, maybe a delay, a delay effect. And it worked really nice because I could clock the looper from the arpeggiator on the, on the music easel. And that way you could, you could, I could play these different arpeggiator rates but it all kind of lined up and looped perfectly and it was you know it worked it it was really effective and i'm pretty sure that one day it suddenly occurred to me that up to that point i'd kind of really sort of separated the way that i thought of them in quite different ways the way that i did the more tonal live sets and the techno live sets but then it was it was you know it was um a technique in in the tonal live set that i realized i could draw into the techno live set and do things like you know have a sequence playing throw it into the looper and then just change the pattern of how that's triggered or i don't know uh a different octave or or whatever you know and have something that's that sonically musically makes sense to be able to play over the top of that and then maybe eventually add to the looper and it was it just it just occurred to me that it was a way of uh giving myself another pair of hands or something like that but it's also this idea of somehow like a time machine or something i don't know that's how i kind of thought of it and also the idea, well, techno is kind of loops, isn't it? You know, and the other thing I found with um, the chaos, say, of the Eurorack live techno thing, being able to throw it into a looper, but also another technique would be, it's almost like having a long delay that's gradually decaying. So you're just keeping throwing part of what you're doing, not everything, of course, into the looper and it gives a consistency to it and i really f i really felt the way that that was received differently by the crowd they they accepted it more as techno rather than having all this stuff constantly fidgeting and changing that seemed to make i don't know it wasn't as techno if that makes sense yeah, I can see it like smooths out. Yeah, it smooths out the loops and the transitions and things gradually evolve when you're throwing it all into a throwing it into a looper. And that seemed to, you know, in quotes, make it more techno, but in a it's like trying to convince a techno audience to listen to something that's that's a bit more experimental but kind of presenting it in this way that is acceptable to them and i found the looper was 
quite a a big part of that. And obviously mm. having a big, great big bashing kick drum as well. Yeah, it always helps. But yeah, having so you've got a kick drum, you've got some, you know, recognizable 909-ish kind of hi-hats. And I think once you've got those kind of signposts, it's techno. Yeah, yeah. And then the rest of it you can go kind of quite uh, quite wild with, you know, and it's still somehow accepted. But the but the tonal performances were something really different because the the script wasn't really written. You know, when people come, they don't quite know what's going to happen. Is this, you know, they sort of think, well, mm, ambient something. But but I love the fact that the script isn't so strongly preconceived. Um, and so, yeah, you can you can really take people far out there. Just way more, yeah, it can be much more experimental because you've no, no signposts anymore. Yeah, yeah. And it's also nice to just, it, well, it's just exploring music that doesn't have a kick, I suppose. It's weird, I don't, I don't really do any music that doesn't have a beat of some description. I kind of have, but uh -huh. um, the only th the thing I did most with that was on my iPhone, just playing, there's an app that just makes amazing loops with mm. loads of delay, uh, which is... <laughs> I've kind of like, I've actually produced like a load of stuff. In fact, I played at Moogfest with just like wow. an iPhone Excellent. and that app. I'm sure that, I'm sure that annoyed some, yeah. I'm sure that would really annoy some, some people. people. like this guy who's like supposed to be like a, one of those equipment nerds who does YouTube videos and I'm like, He's playing on his phone. iPhone. No, my phone. There was a bit of a statement. I was like, well, you know, you don't need all this shit. Like, you really don't. Yeah, I suppose that is a question though. It's like if you... I don't know how to phrase it, but like if you if you've got some kid who's coming up to you, it's like, dear Tony, I want to play techno. How do I make techno in 2020? What would you advise as the sort of do you say use a computer or do you say use hardware? In what sort of way, if so? Well, I've kind of come to realise this, where you know I think that I could say to someone, oh yeah, you've you know you've got to like have a 909 and a this and that and the other but you know a lot of people don't they don't have those machines they don't have the money to buy those machines so you know i think it's wrong to exclude people from from the idea of producing electronic music because of that you know you can do it you really you really can do it with very little with a laptop i think you know i think you can make it with anything i think you've just got to you've got to put the work in i think i think all the time people want a shortcut and an easy you know, uh, trick or, or like answer that's like a, that's going to make it easy and fast. You know, I, I always, I, I'm, I, I keep seeing, you know, gear sold with the kind of easy, fast kind of, uh, byline. But I think that just, if you put the effort in and you really understand music, like inside out, you really listen to it properly, you know, I think that's what you need. That's what someone needs to do. I, I like. I think it might. Was it maybe Pauline Oliveira said something about the difference? She talked about the difference between hearing and listening. I really that that really. I found that really powerful. That really struck a a note with me. How uh, hearing is passive and uh, listening is is much more active. And I I really really agree with that. Yeah, I guess being a DJ, you have no choice but to actively listen because you're so. <laughs> Yeah, not necessarily though. Oh, really? I feel like listening is something I learned from a really early age of being, I mean, a, a really significant early memory for me. I, I grew up 
outside Northampton and like at night I could hear the M1 motorway and it was basically like falling asleep to a, a drone every night. So, you know, I would, I would be in this semi-conscious state and I'm listening to this drone and it, it's, it's not just continuous, it is changing slightly and I would, you know, go further and further into that sound and I just got used to that thing about, I don't know, listening to, you know, now, now I realise it's, it's an idea of kind of non-music. So I, I, I really enjoyed um, listening to sound, <laughs> BBC sound effects albums and things like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and just really, I don't know what the term for it is, but it's like going right into the sound, like listening so carefully and closely that you, you're almost inside the sound. And um, I think that's something that I, you know, that was like a really important kind of study and lesson for me about the way, the way of listening to music so kind of uh, intently. I don't know if that makes any any sort no, of sense. No, no, it massively does. It does. It's well. It's like I was talking. Like oh, I was talking to Sarah Davachi. Oh yeah, that was excellent. <laughs> I, I'm I'm a I'm a big, big fan of Sarah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, she is amazing, and she is, exemplifies that. I think it's like as she said, she was kind of like you. The choice is yours if you want to pay attention like enough and you can consume music passively if you wish, but it's there's beauty in paying real attention to something and sort of, you know, as a part of that is sort of extending it. And it's that, you know, I kept thinking of Paul Stretch, you know, that. Oh, yeah. If you mess, I love that. And it's, I put the, um, oh my God, uh, there's uh, the Beatles Rain by the Beatles. Oh, yeah. The, if you go on YouTube, there is a Paul stretched version of it. And there's, there's, there's one of the key changes in that when you hear it, it is when it's Paul stretched. I mean, even when you listen to the Beatles record, it's oh, brilliant, yeah, yeah. obviously, but it's like but when it's Paul stretched and you've been waiting for the, the sort of that tension to release for. Oh yeah. You know, oh, I, I know. I mean, I haven't heard specifically what you're talking about, but I know exactly what you mean about having <laughs> this, you know, it's like, yeah, the change is just pulling you pulling you to pieces yeah it's amazing mm. yeah talking about the beatles that was that was a really significant thing for me because i i didn't grow up with the beatles but it was friends at school who um kind of introduced me to their stuff and i got i got really into the their production side of things especially with the psychedelic kind of period yeah. and i i got one christmas i got a book called the complete beatles recording sessions and it's that's literally what it is. And so you can read about all the techniques and ideas and things that they were doing. And I just, yeah, I was fascinated by, by that. And I, yeah, I decided I wanted to be a sound engineer pretty much Amazing. because of that. <laughs> um, when, how old were you at that point? Um, 25? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, uh, uh, yeah, a teenager. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but actually before uh, the very significant significant thing before that was uh, my school library had i found a book in my school library called composing with tape recorders music uh. concrete for beginners <laughs> and i yeah i loved it i i i yeah i actually stole the book sorry <laughs> stopping someone else having the chance of uh, being influenced by that but it's um it's this really practical 
guide to making experimental music and um it was amazing but the crazy thing was i was really influenced by that but i'd never heard any music concrete you know it's only what i'd read in this book and imagined oh wow uh, did you make some then having not heard it but imagine yeah, what it could be like actually there's actually a there's actually um carl um from downwards actually released a seven inch of my early experiments it's called boys school showers and swimming pools wow <laughs> which is actually a, uh, it's a reference to william burroughs who is another okay yeah william burroughs the you know the brian geisen cut-up technique yeah that was course, another yeah. thing that was a huge huge influence for me it seems quite quaint and simple now but my young mind was absolutely blown by the idea of taking something and cutting it up and putting it back together. Can you think, why, why were you, you know, of all kids, why do you think it struck you? <laughs> I don't know. There's probably some like psychological reason, but um, I don't know. You know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, do you know why certain things really struck you to, as a kid? No, or, I'm trying or to work it out. Trying to work it out. I don't know. I think it's, I think certainly there's, I don't know. I think it's, when I think about like the early electronic music that I liked, it was all, I was like a child of the late nineties. And so it was, you know, it was Orbital mm. and stuff like this. And it was, I saw Orbital play in 1999. Mm. And that was the first, actually the first gig I saw, which is a pretty no. good start. Um, and, but yeah, like for me, that was just, it was the impossibility of what they were doing. That was, but that was seeing something fully formed, you know, it was like being hit by, you know, something that had been developing for 30 or 40 years at that point, mm -hmm. you know, sort of electronic music. And then, um, so it wasn't, it wasn't an introduction in the sort of, in that sense where you're, you know, your own one is sort of almost in the tributary of what becomes, or it is electronic music, but it's, it's earlier. And I can see the, that for a kid, it's that idea that you're, you know, that idea of almost seeing things be, used in a weird broken way you know if you know that tape machines are just used to record bits of music off the radio and that's it it might never occur to you that you could layer and distort and mess with you know like, oh, like there are ways to break this that are considered you know okay it's i suppose that is an amazing thing it's it's knowing that the world can be there are you're allowed to be naughty and sort of do things that yeah, are not it's re it's rearranging things but i it it reminded me, I think, I, I might be wrong, but I think there was a TV series in the 80s by James Burke. I might be kind of mixing stories together here, but I think it was called The Day The, Day the Universe Changed. And it's about, it, he was talking about like, you know, um, like uh, astronomical discoveries, that's it. And, you know, this there, there was a discovery and someone realized, oh, the Earth is not the center of the solar system. And it's like that's that was this idea of the you know effectively the universe changes because of a change in thought and that yeah that really so that's how it was when I saw about cut ups or read about you know the Beatles using tape loops and and um, the music concrete book and stuff like that it just it it shifted yeah that thing I said before about shifting the goalposts of of what is possible and i don't know it's just ever expanding so that that was just really exciting to to me at the time and still mm. yeah still is you know i still i'm still having my <laughs> my goal posts <laughs> altered 
That sounds so good. ridiculous, but you know, I still. It's all you can ask for. Yeah, isn't it? I'm like, still like, I'm still discovering music all the time. You know, I've been on this real uh, plunder phonics thing uh, recently with like I don't know, just going back to like John Oswald and the Residents, and then I don't know, just like up to newer things like One Oh Tricks Point Never and. I don't know, vapor wave, and you know, I, I was aware of it, but then I've gone, done some crazy wormhole dive into all this. Um, I don't know, I, I guess maybe vapor wave stuff. There's this, there's this label called Orange Milk Records that's just absolutely frying my brain at the moment. <laughs> just a Bandcamp label, but they're, they're just some of the stuff is just absolutely insane. I love it; it's really good. How would you describe it? What sort of what's the music like? Well, it's really varied. I mean, some of it's kind of ambient. Some of it's very plunder phonics, like very jarring and cut up. And some of it's like really mutated kind of grime. But all of it's just really out there and pretty wild, you know, just going too far with whatever it is they're doing. That is, it is a funny thing. I don't, I don't sit down at these tools and sort of, think like today i'm gonna today i'm gonna do something that offends me do you know what i mean or like mm. that something that is so different uh, i don't know how you as a musician i suppose i'd have to ask them but it's like how do you how do you arrive at the very fringes of what is possible with music as your sort of goal it's an interesting one because it's it can't uh, i can't imagine it's an easy ride well, I suppose like the minimalist composers where you've got people sort of standing up and screaming in the middle of a performance. Oh, yeah, I love that. I will admit that I'm I'm massively inspired by artists who are just so out there and so uncompromising. But I don't see myself in that way. I like to take, I like to draw from that, but I want to somehow get it across to people you know i want to not make it palatable but i want to to transmit it i want to take this wild out there thing but somehow get it across or, or just lead people into it somehow you know there's you you start off in a in an easier way and you gradually draw them into the into the craziness it's not so much sort of hitting people over the head with it yeah sort of classic like a, any good dj set that just takes you to to places yeah hopefully i thought um one of the most sort of uh, incredible dj moments i ever experienced was at houghton i was watching optimo oh, yeah. and they were, we're all sort of um i can't you know they were playing some some techno-y thing um at that point which was quite late in the night and they then dropped just apropos of nothing slammed into lay all your love on me by abba hmm. and the, everyone without fail, lost their minds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's amazing. One of those moments where you know, you know, to drop something so such a, a curveball can uh, go wrong, but when it goes right, it's, it's so amazing. I, didn't know, I don't know what passes through a DJ's mind where they're like, this is going to slay them. This is going to work. Do you know what I mean? It's that sort of, as a DJ, I don't know how you you think through like decisions like that, uh, you know, whether uh, it just depends. I suppose it depends. It depends on the crowd. And if, the if I've and... ever done anything approaching that, it's always been a spontaneous urge to, 
to be naughty. Yeah. And or 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 it actually seems like it's a good idea. In that moment. Can you think of examples of when you've what's the naughtiest thing you've played? Yeah, I don't know. I think just anything I say is gonna just sound really boring. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't sound that crazy, but I've there have been quite a few times when I've played uh Patrick Cowley Med- Megatron Man in a totally like a very straight techno club you know and the whole night's been very straight techno and then all of a sudden megatron man comes and it's like people really get into it but kind of despite themselves i don't know you kind of have to be there but it it is kind of funny but it's like eh, this could go really wrong but you know i'm i sort of feel like if i mix it in i'm committed to it i'm I'm not gonna bottle it and it's funny thinking about i grew up in the countryside and sort of I never went to, I never went out much when I was a kid and as a teenager, I was like an indoor kid, like made music and played around and was a nerd and didn't dance. Huh. And that changed um, as time went on. I was much, much older, like very late to it. And it was what struck me was the sort of, was thinking about what clubs were like before you actually go to them and how you think of a club as a sort of quite threatening, sort of almost like you're going into an, an alleyway or an illicit place do you know what i mean yeah. and then but the real experience of of clubbing and especially depending on what is ingested when you're you're going clubbing is 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 this sense of kind of of fun yeah. and it's the sort of it's like a it is a spirit of fun which and i've been fortunate to there's some of the events i've been to that are just you know they really celebrate that and there's there's musical choices and there's I've also recognized that there's, I don't, I don't know if you would agree with this, that like in the best nights that I've been to, there's almost a sense of theater. There's literally almost a theatrical act, like there's things going on, or there's that, just that sense that you're witnessing strange, fantastic, bizarre things. And it's, and so, and it just engenders this whole kind of, this just sense of like fun and possibility and mirth, which then is combined with dancing and, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's not really a question, is it? I mean, it's more of, it's more of an yeah, observation. I, 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 I agree that, yeah, the best experiences have been, you know, you're in this space and then you're, and it's like a, a, it's a parallel universe. It's like different rules apply. But I was going to go back to saying, um, mm. I mean, I wasn't like someone who went out loads, but I did, I feel like I did experience the nightclub scene let's say pre-ecstasy yeah and yeah it was you know back to what you said it was it was scary there was there were there was a lot of violence and um you know i went because i was interested in the music and i just felt like i was scared to look at anyone because they would they would want (laughs) want to have a fight with me that's how it felt you know was it were there fights yeah, I mean the thing the funny thing is this was these were actually like under 18s events. So there wasn't even any alcohol involved, but I think everyone there looked up to their older brothers and sisters and saw what they were doing and you know they wanted to kind of replicate that and that involved a lot of violence. So you know I really yeah. I really did not enjoy clubs and you know it, like you were saying you know it was so the sort of pre the the post rave landscape that just really yeah that changed everything and it was it was amazing and i really saw how you know the 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 nights that 
we did in in Birmingham House of God, you know, it really was this group of misfits and weirdos and everyone who was interested in clubs but wasn't, you know, a clubber. So it was just like punks and hippies and just everyone, ravers, just a weird mixture of people all kind of jumping around and it was amazing. I suppose that one of the questions actually would be interesting is what you, how has your studio changed over the years particularly because it's sort of tracking the evolution of your own relationship with making music. What, what was your first, sorry, what was your first setup? I actually don't know that. Like, Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it has changed a lot. Uh, the first setup I had was a Korg Poly 800. And, um, yeah, it's funny because, like, often people say, oh, what did you make your first tracks with? I say, I can tell you, but just do not, don't buy it. <laughs> You're going to hate it. You will hate it so much. I hope you like buttons. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Korg Poly 800. And uh, there is, I believe, a english company called cheetah who is known yeah. for kind of midi like keyboards and stuff um yeah they had a drum machine i can't even remember what it i don't even look like a gray slab yeah i don't i don't think it even had a name <laughs> it had, a, had a red cheetah on it though <laughs> and yeah um so my uh, the keyboard was mine and um my friend neil uh that, that was his drum machine and yeah my first stuff was written on that and um the first couple of records i did were recorded in mick harris's studio and mick was the drummer in napalm death wow and um okay yeah he was he was a, re a real musical mentor for me that he was very important we sort of lived in the same area of birmingham and they were kind of you know it was a very kind of bohemian area and a lot of bands and artists and people like that lived there so there's you know a big wide group of uh acquaintances and stuff and we got to know each other because we shared a kind of interest in like mike lee films and um uh coil and techno and stuff like that and um because at the time like you know i knew like two people who, who who liked techno but he yeah he let me use his kind of home studio i just brought i brought the keyboard and the drum machine over in a you know on my back kind of carry it on my back pretty much and um he let me he let me use his like mixing desk and he had some outboard gear and stuff and a dat player so yeah i just recorded some tracks just what to tape or like sequenced or how would you it recorded them to um uh dat dat tape yeah. i don't know if anyone's ever heard of those but oh yeah yeah of course it'll be coming back soon don't you worry the sound of that what the early and this is something that i've kind of rediscovered is the physical element of how i used to make techno i i realized for me it works best to to perform it and not to program it i'm not a programmer i'm a performer so i i set it up and i in that you know very totally influenced by by the sort of king tubby dub style of playing the mixer so i i split the drum parts and i just flick the faders up and down and i just arrange it like that and i i have like uh, either one drum pattern or a simple arrangement um and just one keyboard line and i just manipulate that and and just kind of dub it live and and all the early music up to about 98 something ish was was just done that way just with some hardware 
Just like, yeah, mixer jams, basically, on hardware. Yeah, and start start the DAT, do a jam, you know, keep an eye on the time on the DAT. Okay, five minutes, that's it. <laughs> and just do, like, no, really no more than two takes. Right. If you totally screw it up, then do another take. But I wasn't into, like, 20 takes or something, because it's just like, no, you squeeze the life out of it. That's interesting. Yeah. I did wonder, I was going to ask you, like, how, gen- genuine question, how the hell do people make techno on, like, a DAW. Well, I, I I did go towards that, and I got Logic Audio, and I I loved it because this being able to kind of multi-track audio and stuff like that. You know, it was really what I was at that time. I was really frustrated by the limitations of the limitations of how I used the hardware and stuff. Yeah, and so I did the first kind of project was this the album called Force and Form. And that had a lot more kind, yeah, I mean, you you can hear it now. There's a lot more kind of music concrete elements in there, sort of ending parts of the tracks and stuff like that. So, yeah, I got really into the computer thing. But like I said, I, I realized I'm not I'm not a programmer. So I just got my my kind of pro- productivity went after the initial kind of interest in it. I, I kind of got really stuck with it and... Um, found it yeah just found it really hard to make music to be inspired to have a create a starting point and that's where i started getting into eurorack i saw i can't remember what year this was but i saw i i started i did some gigs with jamie blauan and he was using it and i was like wow that really looks like fun oh yeah i've i'd forgotten about that thing called fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> what about fun oh yeah so yeah, it really was like that. It was it was a bit of a shock, and uh, the, another really significant uh, key thing that I saw was um, there's a video on Vimeo of my brain is getting old. Um, oh, he uh, he was he was he was really famous for always performing with a with a booklet easel. This is Charles Cohen. Exactly. Okay. I knew, Charles- I, I actually, I could read your mind. I knew what the video, you're talking about the one with those like really beautiful camera work yes, on it. Yes, it? yes. So I saw that and I was like, oh my God, that is so much fun. It was so like playful, you know, just the, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? It was like, wow. I do. And um, I wonder how many easels that video sold. So I I immediately put my name on the waiting list at Schneider's in Berlin for an easel, and oh yeah, I think I I yeah I I ordered an easel and I I was too impatient to wait, so I started buying Eurorack wow. gear in the meantime. And um, another example of my impatience is uh, there's a video of me like a boiler room at deck mantle where i've got a beard and there's all these people around me and i'm playing yeah i know that video well i've watched it many 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 times <laughs> i bought my first Eurorack module uh two months before that oh wow i i didn't realize at the time but someone said something about that and i kind of looked it up and i was like oh god yeah so i'm just stupid you had it like ableton on a laptop you're sort of djing and i started out like that where i had for years and years, I, I kind of DJed with Ableton and a lot of people really hated it, but I enjoyed what I could do because I could combine a lot of different music styles and kind of present it in this techno kind of sandwich way kind of thing. And so, 
yeah, I got I got this Eurorack gear. The idea was to use it purely in the studio, but then I hauled it off to a gig, and I was like, oh my god, that's so much fun because I figured out this way of syncing it with Ableton with I think putting a clock pulse in one of the kind of drum machine things and feeding it feeding out, it out of the headphone output or something. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, that worked. That was really effective, and I could sort of shift it enough and sort the latency out and whatever. Uh, yeah, and I started doing doing gigs like that with you know Ableton kind of backing stuff and then jamming over the top of it. And over a fairly short amount of time, I used the laptop less and less, and eventually, literally, all it was doing was telling me what time it was. <laughs> so I was like, "Time, time for the laptop to go. I should just get a watch." And then. I was like, oh, I'm going to stop DJing. And I just only performed live for three, four years or something to really, because that's just what I was focused on. Do you, you did use the Octa track though. Was the Octa track playing track or like music, other people's well, tunes? Or? Uh, let me think. See, I, I used it and then I stopped using it and then, I, and then I've used it again in a different way. And now I don't use it again. But no, I, I like, it's this thing. I like to hold on to gear. I never sell anything because so many times I've ended up reusing something in a different way. Yeah. So I think the Octatrack gave me a few more a few more percussion sounds. I think that was the master clock. I think I had the headphone output again just playing like a pulse in the same way I said before. Mm. And gave me a few more percussive sequences and um yeah I think I guess I used the looper. It is a looper, a kind of dual looper. Then I think I started using, there was like this dual delay looper. Yeah, the 4MS exactly. DLD. Yeah. I'm glad that you can, I'm glad you can remind, you can jog Sorry, my I've been following very closely. My <laughs> memory. Oh, right. Yeah. You, you, I'm, I'm pretty sure you could probably tell me about my live setup. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's enough. I, there have been some funny moments. Like uh, I remember an occasion where one night when I, back when I lived in London that we were like, it was late. Everyone's like, oh, I'm going to stay out. And we're sort of like walking across East London, trying to find somewhere to go. And someone gave us a, oh, here's free entry to a place we'd not really heard of. Mm. And we went in and it was filled with smoke. And I was like, oh, it's techno, I'm playing techno. And I got to the front and you were playing. Oh, wow. <laughs> where, like, where was that? It was at Block. It was oh, at Block yeah. a few years ago. And it was, I just was like, that's surgeon and he's playing with his he's got his multiple uh, circadian rhythms and his octatrack and sort of doing that leaning over and like well what's he doing what's he mm. doing like that whole thing but it's always it, it's impossible to unpick someone else's modular oh, especially yeah, up, yeah. upside down in smoke yeah 100 even harder yeah you can't figure out how you know even if you you realize what modules they've got it's just well how how is it all connected together it makes but yeah the the setup would sometimes change quite rapidly maybe too rapidly because, you know, there's a period of getting used to and comfortable with something. But maybe that was part of it where, and this goes back to the studio setup thing as well. This is something I've found over the years. If I if I hit upon kind of a winning formula or setup or something, I'm really aware of a point where I start getting lazy and it's like, right, time to burn it to the ground. <laughs> And it's the same with the live setups. You know, if I'm getting too, if it's getting too smooth, do you know what I mean? Over several gigs, it starts getting a bit smoother. And I, I want, I, I purposely change it to 
to not have it as smooth because I don't want it to be smooth. Can you clarify in what way you don't want smoothness? Like, because I don't know what you're describing sounds like, you know, the, the blessed relief, like, oh my God, thank God it's finally working. And then, it, then it's, it's like, it's just not exciting. And I, 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 I really, really believe that this transmits to the crowd. I, I, I'm convinced that on some kind of, you know, people don't have to understand what your Iraq is or how I'm playing live. That's irrelevant. But they can hear that it's not as perfect as a as a DJ playing a track. And I and they I'm convinced that they they can sense that this is being created in that moment. And there's something really special and powerful and different about a live act in that way. I don't know. I like there's that's quite a an important part of techno for me, a, a roughness. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a craft work thing. It's this, it's this relationship between a human and a, and a machine and having a roughness is the human part. And when you polish that and polish it and put, and, and smooth it and smooth it, it's, it's, it's just a machine. And I love that awkward relationship between a human and a machine that is fundamentally what is exciting about electronic music for me is is that relationship and that's what i want to uh project and i i i totally believe that that is really exciting for an audience whether they (laughs) whether they know it or not i don't know i just just through gigging this is my insane (laughs) acid adult experiences (laughs) Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 totally. And I'm just only trying to quantify the sort of what aspect of it, because it's something I think about a lot. It's like I think about what I consider valuable in a live music experience. It's why I also have done improvised sets mm. when I could so very easily laboriously write, pre-write a set yeah. and form it and do some basic changes. Like, obviously, you can do that. Like, it's been done. But, uh, like part of it like if i reference orbital you know when i was 16 i didn't know how any of it was done so it was absolutely magical Mm. but of course as i grew to understand the equipment then i can perceive what they're doing and some of the magic is lost Uh it's it's just the same as knowing how a magic trick is done where yeah it's like it's not as fun if you know oh you dropped it in your hand and the ball went in your pocket Uh, it's a tricky one because i can certainly also say that i've I personally had some really good experiences of live music where the performers like, you know, whimsically hidden themselves so that I can't see what they're doing. And I have no choice but to just appreciate the music on its, on its fundamental own terms. Um, I have enjoyed those shows, but I I guess it's, you know, the way I thought about it is, is electronic music is fundamentally on many levels is divorced from kind of live music played with traditional instruments because it's so easy to pre-record things, but by doing improvisational things, then it's the most live that electronic music can be. It's, it's yeah. to make it, it has a jazz equivalent of like, or, yeah, you know, that's, jazz music. that's really true. I hadn't actually thought of it in that way, but I, yeah, I, I strongly agree with that. I was thinking about how uh, my cats always gate crash every stream interview everything i do so yeah they i'm gonna try and um stop them like knocking things over (laughs) yeah i i 
for quite a long time, I, I've been really obsessed by, you know, thinking about different levels of, of performance. So, yeah, I really think about how, you know, the way that, that an audience connects with someone standing on stage playing a guitar, even if they can't play a guitar, they have a sense that the performer is moving their hands up and down and the, the notes are changing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really powerful. Actually, there is, uh, have, uh, have you seen this uh, Charles Cohen video where he, he's doing this interview? I don't think so. I've only seen this sort of the whimsically shot one. Um, I really need to send this to you because, yeah, Charles Cohen interview, 19th of July, 2015. Yeah, okay. I see it. We'll link to it. I strongly uh, recommend watching that. For me, that is like the holy grail and Ten Commandments of improvising. <laughs> right. That, that sums everything up. The bit I was telling you about, how you can see someone moving their hands and getting a sense of, you know, that's basically straight from there. I, I keep like virtually quoting bits out of it and going, <laughs> oh, oh yeah, no, yeah. that's actually, those aren't my words. They're, those are his. But um, yeah, really, yeah, amazing stuff. It's, I remember a friend of mine telling me about a gig he played where he brought loads and loads of gear. He had like a, he had like a Pro One, he had like a 707, loads of stuff, like tons of gear, like set it all up. It was absolutely sweating buckets, like trying to get it all to work. It didn't work, got it working, played his set, played the shit out of it, like put his heart and soul into it. And at the end of it, stopped playing and the audience was just staring at him. And, they were staring and there wasn't a word of applause or anything. And it was because the setup in the club was that he was raised up and there was a sort of DJ booth that was above everyone and no one could see what he was doing. And they just thought he was DJing. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> and there's just no way they could possibly have known that he was creating the music in real time in front of them. You know, it's that sort of, that's the issue that I, I mean, I've had that sometimes where I'm like, I've played, you know, I played to absolutely no one. Uh, not a soul, one or two souls who've drifted past at certain festivals. Um, and, you know, if I feel that if they could see the system and see that it was going, you know, perhaps they would know. But then another part of me is like, why should they care? You know, why should it matter that I'm, what's the difference between seeing me with this funky box of wires versus seeing someone with, you know, a CDJ and, and, and a mixer and yeah, like, what? but you know, that, that, that's, it's great when people can see you with your your Iraq and gear and whatever because it's it's that's part that's a big part of the show. Yeah. I saw how people reacted to that. People were like what the hell is that? And it's it's funny to that it was like that to so much extent to to such an extent that I kind of stopped using that gear cuz I felt like it kind of it was the only thing that there was about me and right. I don't know. I've kind of played around with a lot of different things over the years and I, I don't, I don't know. I feel somehow feel uncomfortable about being pinned down to something. And I really felt like I was, I was the modular guy and I don't know. I can't really explain why, but I, that kind of made me uh, stop using it. 
which is silly. Do you still, do you still, well, you, you presumably not sold it? No, uh, but again, it's like that thing. I know, I know it's there and I'll probably use it in a different way or something because it's, yeah, it's obviously very flexible. How do you think about changing your setup? Like, what is when you're like, your current thing is the, the Lep Loop? Leap, Leap Loop? Yeah, currently. Oh, did, did you see the street? Oh, you, oh, yeah, we already talked about it. Sorry. The thing with Speedy J, yeah. Yes, you had like a, I think you had a Beatset Pro and you might have had a modular. I had a, uh, it was a, a Beatset Pro controlling a Pulsar 23. That was it. Yes, flipping X. And I've got the Lyra. Oh, um, yeah. I'm, I, yeah. I really, see, after the modular thing, I, and maybe back to the, the easel, I, I, I really, I realized I really loved very, I don't know, idiosyncratic, if that's the word, um, mm. instruments. Devices, yeah. And and the same for, you know, like Eurorack modules as well, oscillators, whatever. I really, I, I, I was a big fan of the whimsical raps kind of stuff. Oh my God, that is, is they are very whimsical as well. They're an esoteric. Yeah. They were absolutely my favorite filters and oscillators and, and everything. So yeah, I just got into this, idiosyncratic instrument thing and that's kind of what i've been pursuing lately and that's why i got the the portabella the kind of synthy type thing and um and you know and and then got into the the lyra and the the pulsar i just that just kind of speak i don't know it, that suits me and speaks to me i i really i connect with an instrument that makes you submit to it <laughs> I don't know. There's something, yeah, it's back to that. It's a really important part in the improvisation and, you know, that surrendering, like I was saying about letting the track fall apart. It's like not, you know, you're gently guiding what's happening, but there's a sense of not, it's like cooperating with the machines. Does that make sense? Mm. Oh yeah. That's when it works really well when you're kind of cooperating and you're all, you're kind of working together and you're not trying to, kind of dominate the machines this is all getting a bit kinky <laughs> maybe i'm starting i'm revealing a bit too much yeah a bit burkheim yeah <laughs> that's all right um i'm 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 all right with that <laughs> it's, well, especially obviously if you like the chaos and yeah you know, yeah you're you set to fall apart you want equipment that is not is esoteric you shouldn't know exactly quite what each thing is going to do and this, then therefore there's a likelihood you're going to do the wrong thing. It's it's like that sort of when, and I'm sure it's the same for you, there's like the earliest music you've wrote when you listen back to it, it, it there is always a naivety and a sort of slightly, slightly rubbishy aspect. Mm. But then there is also a kind of, I don't know how to describe it, there is a sort of charm and freedom. Well, it's, that, it's, it's honest. And I think that is, that's a really important thing for me about music. Do you mean not trying to be sort of cool and doing things for effect, but doing things in a kind, genuine? I don't know, kind of, but um, it's hard to it's hard to quantify. But it's something that I feel when I make music that I want it to be. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can just describe it as being as wanting it to be honest. But the um, the chaos thing is is really that's really powerful. I think chaos is is a very powerful thing to kind of plug into. And to uh, kind of use and celebrate, yeah, the Turing machine and things like that. 
Yeah, definitely. But then it's that the Turing's like the the perfect techno version because then it can be looped. You know? Oh yeah. And it, and it's, isn't techno not? I think I'm going to quote uh, you. Uh, you. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I'm pretty sure you've said like techno. You know, you can define techno as sort of anything repeated more than once. Is is maybe I'm paraphrasing. Oh, I think it's the. Isn't that the. Isn't that the jazz thing? If you if you make a mistake, you just got to make do it again, baby. There you go. Yeah, there's jazz. <laughs> but yeah, that's where the looper. The looper's great because if you if you make a mistake and it's in the looper, after about five loops, you're like, oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> do you have? I mean, are there any other sort of things that? You, I mean, we talked about the things that are in your mind as you play, but it's. You know, I have had to. I've had to stop myself from doing things. I get, you know, there is that sort of time dilation, and you. One of the things is to not. I've I've learned the way that I play my modular, and I learned it from Stevio oh, yeah. uh, by just watching him and watching what he does. But is is to you kind of have to give up on that concept of drops and making because it's in a sense, and it's what's so great about records is obviously so much can happen and it's a very scripted, potentially a scripted or it's a well-defined journey that the record sets up. Whereas if you're making it up in the spot, but you want to have surprising sort of drops and like, you know, those impactful moments where something just comes in and that's really hard. And I, I suppose the one thing that I've thought is like, don't take things away. Like it's really tempting to mute things, but, like instantly pull them off, but that usually can end in disaster because you mute the wrong thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I suppose, like, can you distill? Uh, I mean, it's obviously based on many, many years of playing records, but like talking about structure specifically, uh, is there any advice that you would offer to someone who is I think playing this live? Is, this is funny because I'm, I think I'm remembering this correctly, but I'm sure that I, I watched one of your videos about uh, doing a techno improvisation. And I, I think you might have been talking on it. Yeah. I found it really funny because you, you said something about a technique to do with like muting or fading things out or in, and you, yeah. and you mentioned me. <laughs> and, and the funny thing was, whatever you said was the, the opposite <laughs> of the way that I did it. Oh, wow. Okay, good. No, no, but it, it was just, it was funny. No, it was to do with, um, yeah, because you, you were saying about not taking things out gradually. Yeah, because my key is to bring things in gradually. But it's probably both. I basically was like, I'll bring things in gradually, but don't take them out immediately. Yeah, it's sort of, it's funny because I heard you say that and, and I just, I thought, well, it kind of depends. The way that I do things like that, it it relies on my the intu intuition I've learned from DJing about structuring and stuff like that. I would I would say that's what I I rely on. But but the fading things in is like because I'm not previewing. Say I'm using the the um, Turing machine. I'm not previewing sequences. Yeah, yeah. And I, I fade it in, and if it's like a really naff <laughs> sequence, at least I've got a chance to kind of. You've got to go with it, but you can you can kind of make it a bit better somehow, or or I don't know, do something to it to kind of save it. I think that well, I do that as well um, because, like as I say, when you're handing one, th you know, you're bringing in fading up something. I I have the uh, Bifaco Hex Mix, which does have PFL. Oh. But I never use it 
like I'd never, I'd never used, I might have used it once or twice just to check like what sample the radio music was playing. But, you know, I would, I would always just fade in and just generally do that. But I think it was more what I recognize and the mistake that I've made and what I was trying to stop myself from doing is, is muting like the bass or, or like muting. It's that moment of muting that one, the one really central core part of the tune that's holding it all together. Mm. And, it, and when I've done that and, and messed it up, it's sort of devastating. It's like the whole heart has fallen out of the, the track, as it were. And so it's a reminder to not, don't pull things out quickly. Mm. Um, but, it's, but, but definitely bringing, slamming things in, especially with like hats and things to just to cr- step things up is, is such a, can be so amazingly uh, brilliant if it's, you know, if you're in control enough to anticipate the moment to do it and you've got your finger in the right place. But it's sort of, I don't know what I learned from Stevio was that that concept of trying to sort of like move away from doing kind of bringing that in quick and then potentially also encouraging yourself to take that out quickly because you sort of it's it's like almost trying to replicate what's possible with a, an arrangement and it's very hard to do mm. with just one pair of hands and it's better to sort of embrace and almost warm the audience into a state of we're just going to have this slowly evolving thing that will it'll always be changing. Like, you know, Eliane Radig, it's sort of her music. If you listen at any one point, it sounds static, but it, if you listen for more than one second, it's always changing. It's just changing really slowly so that you can't quite perceive where all the, the changes mm-hmm. occur. And that, and that means that from, you know, one minute to the next, it could sound completely different, but you're not necessarily aware of those changes. And that's, and that's a way of playing that's much more possible to do as a solo player. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just going to let, I'm going to have to let the cat out of the room because it's staring at me. <laughs> yeah. Cat, the cat cat always hijacks these things, but it's gone now. Um, the, the thing you said about Eliane Radig reminded me when I was at school, there was an art teacher who, he wasn't my art teacher, but he was, the teacher of some of my friends and um he used to play records at uh during lunchtime and i remember i really it was another one of these the universe changed moments for me he played he played me uh no pussyfooting by robert fripp and brian eno and i'd never heard music like that so he played it for a little while and he said it doesn't sound like it's changing does it and then he skipped the needle across the side because you know the track was like the whole side of the vinyl and you could hear as as you skipped it you know like a centimeter at a time you could hear how it was changing and that that just showing me that uh yeah just totally changed my my musical universe that was that was the probably the most significant thing i learned in during my whole time at school (laughs) and he wasn't actually my teacher yeah nice it did sound you know you were doing that with the Speedy J Jam was like had that slow evolving kind of thing. It was like I, I couldn't tell who was doing what, and I couldn't really, you know, there are certain moments where you can definably hear one thing coming in, but not much. Mm. Like it was, it felt very, very fluid in that sense. Performing with him seems to really bring that out in me. That's something I've noticed. Every every person, if I perform perform with one other person. What I do is com- feels to me completely different each with each different performer because it it's kind of it's working with 
with what they're doing. So yeah, when when I perform with him, it's this. It tends to be these very long, evolving sets where it's nice to sit down, <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, and they it's quite effortless to play. It's very easy to play for two hours, but when when I do sets with Colleen, they're they're much more kind of a high impact, quicker. I did see. There's a wicked video of you playing with her. There's a moment where. I think you made a mistake and she sort of leans across and goes like at you, which is good. It's, I mean, it's that sense of fun. It's like, I just think techno is sort of uh, definitely takes itself incredibly seriously a lot of the time. And I hundred percent don't think that's a healthy thing to, it's okay to sometimes be like dead serious, but I just also think it's, there's a sense of fun and play. And yeah, I, I, I really, in, you know, during the, rather long time i've been involved with it i've really in i've i the reason i'm still involved with it is because i believe it's such a flexible form of music whereas some many styles of dance music are really defined by very particular patterns rhythms or sounds but i think that techno is a much wider form you know the way i view techno anyway and and it's so it's like this thing that you can bend and stretch really far and it's like how i i kind of feel like i i do that a lot where it's like how far can i stretch this thing before it before people go hold on a minute that's not techno <laughs> you've gone too far you know that's that's like an aim of playing around it's like a form playing around with a form and you know i found it to be really flexible and, and fun and having unfortunately we don't have it now but uh, you know having a physical element to it is really powerful you know yeah, to yeah. this underpinning rhythm and repetition it's really surprising what you can do as long as you you have that there i mean it, it yeah i don't think of, i can't think of any other style other than like to sort of uh, noise music where it's okay to just pretty much loop anything like do you know what i mean it's like it's true i I love electro as well and it's sort of there's a kind of i feel like electro and techno are close to each other in the sort of musical spectrum if there is a spectrum they're sort of they're like cousins Mm. and but yeah it's interesting i don't know it was one of the questions i I wanted to sort of settle an argument which is like Mm. when is electro techno and when is do you know what i mean like can you have a are you allowed to have an electro record that's got a four four or is that a techno record it's uh well i would say that (laughs) i I would say that electro is is a kind of techno (laughs) Uh, but techno is not a kind of electro. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's, for, that's, for, that's how my, you know, my personal. This is not like set in stone, obviously. But for, yeah, for me, that that I my 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 idea of techno really encompasses a lot of a lot of styles, uh, much to the annoyance of some techno fans. <laughs> Yeah, I sort of don't get that. Why would, why would anyone complain? Yeah. Like, in I've this- had, I've had angry shouting. I've had things thrown, um, more angry shouting, to which I give a thumbs up. <laughs> you know, this is not always the case, fortunately, but there are times when, when it can be a really, very conservative scene, uh, which is, you know, that often seems to happen, doesn't it? It's something 
I don't know, I'm sure that's like the same, can be the same with jazz where it can start out being very radical and experimental and then becomes ossified exactly yeah and that is that is i'm i'm so against that it seems weird to me and my understanding of techno is to you know i mean there is craft work called their music techno Mm. uh, at one point you know and then then there's then there's that that phrase proper techno (laughs) um which i like and then in fairness i don't i do understand what that means you know i understand that that is supposed to mean really stripped brutal take your top off yeah. like four with a very angry noise that's like i mean i i definitely i definitely experienced the detroit techno thing with you know that was that sense of that was where you know the what what do you call it the the fountain head or something of a certain of that kind of style of music and the um you know, that went along with all, when I was, the gigs, when I first started doing gigs in Europe, you know, all, just the majority of the, the eyes I played with, the guest eyes were, were you know, black DJs from Detroit. Um, and that's, you know, that's something that's very, very different now. I'm always, you know, I'm always really interested to see, to keep at least half an eye on stuff that's going on like that. Because, you know, it's, it can be, it can be quite exciting hearing new kind of mutations of the dna i like actually i really there was a kind of a mad mike quote that i really loved he said that i'm not going to quote it perfectly but he was talking about how techno was a virus and it's like you could you kind of you can't kill it and it keeps mutating and that's that's kind of how i see it it's it's this thing that's there's a dna that that is techno but it it alters and mutates and takes on different forms and goes on different tangents. But to me, it's all this same kind of DNA of um, um, electronic body music. I don't know if that's the right thing to call it. don't know what I'm talking about anymore. just think it's, yeah, it's weird that people would try and fence it in. And in a sense, that, yeah, there are certain like... I think it's just human. I think it's human nature though, isn't it? I don't know, I have this really this kind of really fundamental idea about how how incredibly chaotic the universe is, man. <laughs> and this is really upsetting to human beings. They they do not like this chaotic universe. They don't want to accept that pandemics sweep the globe and there isn't like a conspiracy theory behind it. They want to they want to they want to give it a meaning even if it's preposterous. And um, I don't know. I don't know why I started talking about that. Oh yeah, no, we, we were talking about um, you know how people want to kind of categorize and stratify things. They want to make sense of the world, the chaos in the world, and therefore put music in a box. There you go. Yeah. So, question is, and last question is, what is the future of music technology? I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I so I remember hearing uh hearing or reading something about how in Victorian times this isn't actually an answer to your question. This is like a bit of a bit of a swerve, I have to be honest. But um 
I remember hearing that in the Victorian times, um, some, I'm sure, English scientists pronounced that everything that there was to be discovered in the world of science had been discovered. So we can draw a line under it all now. And I, I often feel like some people are kind of like that when it comes to techno or dance music or, or anything in general. And I, it's another one of these things I fundamentally disagree with where if I really think if, if the music you're into feels stale and you're just, you got to look somewhere else, it's, it's happening somewhere else. And it's, it's, you know, there's something exciting somewhere hidden under a rock somewhere. You're just not looking in the right place. But I don't know what, <laughs> that, that totally wasn't an answer to your question though. It is. It's like, keep looking for, keep searching. It's, yeah. It would be important to stay, yeah, it doesn't have to be about technology, but to remind you that, well, technology is supposed to serve the creation of music. Um, so looking for new music is, and not being, it's that thing of, of having all this technology and then being in your mind compartmentalized by tropes and patterns. Yeah, it's, it's, and us, it's us that holds ourselves back. It's like, yeah, in terms of music technology, you know, I'm finding new machines like with um the soma stuff you know may i don't know maybe not everything they're doing is brand new but they're i don't know they're they're giving you a new way to interact with it or something there's always a new there's always something you haven't thought of and to it's that thing about if you 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 you're kind of drawing a line under all possibilities it's just i just don't agree with that there's always something on the horizon somewhere Cool. Thanks very much. Boom. What a lovely chap. Love that guy. Love how he talks and thinks and love what he does. More power, Tony Surgeon. And thank you so much for giving your time up and uh, apologies to your cats uh, who were less well attended to because you were being held down in front of your computer talking to me. Um, yeah. Wow. I love that. Do you remember that quote he said? It's us that holds us back. It's us that holds us back. Technology is obviously in service of us and technology can be hugely inspirational that thing of like the, the man and machine or woman indeed and machine that's the sort of the craft working heart of playing live and messing with machines in front of an audience it's fun to see a human wrestle with a machine and see what human things can come out of it and us connecting with sort of machine sounds that's you know very techno but it's us that holds us back it's our own sort of preconceived notions of what music should be and putting music in boxes and slavishly adhering to patterns and styles is going to stagnate music styles it's only when you do things that are wrong that you can discover new ways of doing things um, and it's you know it, as you can tell, Tony is obviously, because he's a DJ, he's actively seeking out music. He is trawling through Bandcamp, listening to Orange Milk Records and listening to different types of things. You know, and if you've, 
I mean, we talked about it. I didn't mention it at the start, but in case you're not aware, like Tony not just makes techno. Tony does these beautiful ambient shows that are very transcendent and um, literally, <laughs> which are, you know, beautiful, gorgeous, meditative, smooth experiences, which are not rough and pointy and full of 909 kick drums and rides. Uh, but it's interesting when he did say, you know, you've got to have the kick drum, you've got to have the, you know, 909-ish sounds, and those are the sort of signposts of techno. And if you have that, everything else is fair game. I suppose you, know, you don't necessarily need to have those particular sounds, but it's just interesting the idea that we can't escape the 909. But yeah, it's us that holds us back. It's us that holds us back. That is interesting. And the other thing where he's talking about the secret of listening or the secret of improvisation is to listen properly. Really, really, really paying attention to what you're doing. Because, yeah, I mean, I've... I can only look inwardly at myself when I'm play or I think about what I'm doing when I play and I am listening and I'm just paying attention to the track because only by paying attention do you really, does your brain go, oh, this is cool, this bit, and I can imagine what could come next. Oh, this is cool. You could then have some hats on this or this is cool. You could then filter the, you know, baseline a bit more or whatever. You know, it's like only by listening intently do you know what, could come to your does your brain sort of focus and start imagining what could come next and that might sound obvious but um it is hard i mean I, and there's definitely i'm starting to recognize that there's personally i've kind of i've played with when i mentioned that moog thing i was using completely different kit to what i would normally use when i play with my other live modular that i put together but it sounded similar uh, there were definitely common themes and threads and then that's a sign that it's my you know it's me it's my brain is starting to kind of learn a way of playing um which also sounds dangerously like something that is stagnating or in risk of it so um maybe we should all take a leaf out of tony's book which is the the moment that something's starting to get comfortable is you should throw it in the fucking bin <laughs> and just start from scratch again you know he's just um for Afraid of being poaching holders, the sort of modular guy, he's been his modular, but he hasn't. It's obviously just sat in his studio and he's playing with this little lip loop and an octatrack and um, an Otto boom and bim or bam or whichever the, you know, the reverb Otto and the uh, compressor Otto. And that's his setup. He's just got like three little boxes or four little boxes on the table. So it is important to challenge yourself. I think also important to not just pile things upon things upon things. If there's one lesson you can learn from looking at surgeons' live setups, it's that they are incredibly simple. As he says, uh, you know, it's more fun that way. I think that's what he said, was it? More fun for me. It's just easier to get your head round. So think simple. That's something I definitely, I'm trying to do consciously. And I'm actually... Uh, after I had this conversation with Tony, um, in fact, I actually started thinking again about a new live system. I want to try and build something that's more akin to that, uh, based around this quadranted swarm, which is just a wonderful, wonderful sequencing, little monster of a sequencing synth that's very good for techno. Um, so, yeah, that's it. I want to thank you for listening. And if you've not listened to this show before, um, there's lots more like it. In fact, you should rewind 
and listen to the last episode with Sarah Devachi, um, because Tony is a big fan of Sarah's. And actually, Tony did say he really enjoyed that episode. So if Tony says he enjoyed it, then I'm sure you will too. Um, Sarah's amazing, um, amazing, and, and, you know, more in the kind of ambient world. Uh, but that's the world Tony is in too. Uh, so you should listen back to it and go draw back. And main thing is share this. Please share the podcast. If you enjoyed it, let your friends hear it too. And hopefully we can do more of them in 2021. Flip the heck. Heck in the flip. I want to thank our sponsors, Signal Sounds and Skillshare. Don't forget that link if you want to try the Skillshare thing. I genuinely recommend that. And there's loads of things you can teach yourself. I think I need to see if there's one on building a live modular and improvisation. That would be helpful. Bearing in mind, at all times, the law of Tony Surgeon. It's us that holds us back. Thanks very much. See you next time.